Hi, I'm Matt Pacelli with the Virginia State Golf Association, and welcome to our Golf in the Commonwealth podcast. This is another week away from meeting the hikers. Coming not too far behind the U.S. Women's Mid-Am, in which five Virginia women competed at Berkeley Hall in South Carolina, it seemed appropriate that we finally catch up with the 2015 U.S. Women's Mid-Am champion, Virginia's own Lauren Greenleaf. In the days since the interview with Lauren, her and partner Alexandra Austin, also a 2021 U.S. Women's Mid-Am competitor, teamed to qualify for the U.S. Women's 4-Ball next year with an 8-under par 64 at Willow Oaks Country Club in Richmond. But it's, it's my guess that many listeners have already seen or heard of Lauren in some way. But I hope that this interview offers a different look at her journey to college golf at UVA and why an amateur at her level chooses to stay that way and not pursue playing professionally. Here's my conversation with Lauren Greenleaf. We just jump right in. Awesome, let's do it. Lauren Greenleaf, thank you for joining us. I know who you are. A lot of people who follow golf in Virginia and women's golf uh, nationwide probably know who you are, but tell people more about who you are. Awesome, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm Lauren Greenleaf. I'm a member at International Country Club up in Northern Virginia in Fairfax. I'm a competitive women's amateur golfer. I've been playing in VSGA events since I was a teenager um, and have had the opportunity to win a number of them and have done pretty well on the state and national stage as well. People have seen your name in Virginia for a long time. You mentioned it as a teenager. You've got 10 VSGA titles, five-time Women's Player of the Year, um, 2015 USGA or US Women's Mid-Am champion. But talk a little bit about how you got started in the game. I got started in the game early. So I grew up at International Country Club. They had a great junior golf program. Um, when I was younger, they had a Tuesday night clinic uh, for three holers, five holers, and nine holers. So I started that when I was five as a three holer. Uh, so went out and did a Tuesday night clinic where we learned how to play the game. And then we had a play day on Wednesday morning where we'd go out and play three holes. Uh, my dad's a very avid golfer, too. I think he plays almost 200 rounds a year. So I did a lot of riding around in the cart with dad and teeing it up at the 150 marker as well. And what was it about that that got you it was through that, that that got you hooked. Do you remember anything specific that was kind of like, this is the hook, I've got to keep coming back? There were probably two things. So one was just getting to hang out with dad, uh-huh. getting to drive the golf cart, even though I probably wasn't supposed to yep. at mm-hmm. that age. So riding around in the cart with dad was probably my number one. And then my number two was um, as a young kid, early teen, I was a competitive swimmer. So I swam competitively for... Uh, 10 seasons and I was always pretty athletic as a kid so I hit it a lot farther than all the other kids mm-hmm. and I think that brought me joy and happiness <laughs> and kept me in the game. So I know a bit of your college story by having listened to the Back of the Range podcast mm-hmm. with Ben that you were on that was like a year ago right at kind of the onset of, of COVID and so I know where we're going to go with this story but I'm interested I would love for you to tell sort of the story mm-hmm. but in your high school days, you're playing enough that you're thinking, I can go somewhere and I can play Division One mm-hmm. college golf. Talk a little bit about the recruiting process or looking for colleges, what that was like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll caveat that I'm 31, so I was probably going through this 15 years ago. And 
the junior game has grown tremendously mm-hmm. since then. Uh, but when I was a junior golfer, there were still a lot of opportunities, but the AJGA was much smaller than it is today. So yeah. it was much more focused on invitational events, events that were more challenging to get into. And I would say that I was a little bit of a late bloomer in golf. Uh-huh. I'm probably playing better now the last couple of years than I have at any point <laughs> in my career, right. which is a little backwards <laughs> for most. But um, when I was a kid, I played a ton of sports. I swam on the high school swim team. I played on the golf team. I played soccer, basketball, what have you. And I didn't specialize very early. So as a teenager, I was a solid player. I could shoot in the low to mid 70s consistently, but I didn't necessarily have the experience on the national stage that mm-hmm. a lot of the kids have now with all the AJGA events that you can play in. I had played in uh, US Girls Junior and a couple junior PGA championships on the national scale, but I was kind of still getting my feet wet in golf and building my resume out. Um, so I got recruited to some smaller schools, um, applied to a number of places, based on academics and just places Mm -hmm. where I wanted to go and ultimately got into UVA um, just on my own as a regular student. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, I know I can play. I know I have a good golf swing. I've played well in national, a couple national tournaments. I want to try and play. Uh, So even though I wasn't heavily recruited there, I wasn't recruited at UVA at all. They Mm -hmm. were doing a coaching change from Jan Mann to Kim Llewellyn. And for a number of different reasons, I just wasn't out there enough. but I said, hey, I want to play. So let me reach out and try and do this. So I sent a couple notes to Kim and tried to get her attention. And we finally nailed down a date for the tryout that was probably, I don't know, six or seven weeks into the school year because for whatever reason that year they had a very early college schedule. So mm-hmm. they started the first week of school. Um, but I was lucky enough that Kim was able to give me a tryout. Talk. Can you tell the story? Because I heard it on Back of the Range, mm-hmm. but of, of your practice leading up to that, to that tryout. And, and how hard you were grind, grinding uh, to get to Birdwood, n- n- just getting there, and then when you were there, when you were working. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I landed on campus, it was fall of 2008. Uh, first years at UVA weren't allowed to have a car. I have this tryout set up with Kim in probably early October at that point, about six weeks into mm-hmm. the year. And I'm sitting there going to my classes and I'm like, I really need to go practice (laughs) for this tryout. Um, And for folks that know Charlottesville, Birdwood is not too far from the UVA grounds, but it's probably a good three miles from the dormitory Mm -hmm. that I was living in. Uh, And I was trying to figure out how to get there. Um, As you imagine, taxi drivers really don't want to schedule a pickup to take you five minutes to Birdwood. It's not very exciting. Uh, I asked a couple of the girls on my dorm, hey, does anyone have a bike? Uh (laughs) I can borrow a couple days a week. Uh, So in the weeks leading up to the tryout, because I wanted to hit balls and putt and try and stay sharp, I would take maybe my putter and driver and a couple irons lay them across the handlebars and ride this borrowed bike uh, (laughs) down Ivy Road out to Birdwood just to hit balls for an hour or two to get ready for the tryout. it ended up landing my college nickname when I ultimately went to tryouts. So the day of tryouts, I show up. Uh, I think I called an airport cab to come pick me up and okay. take me to the golf course that day because I had the full bag. Uh, but I showed up on the driving range and Kim walks up and she's like, hey, are you the girl who's been riding her bike back and forth on Ivy Road? Because um, I feel really bad <laughs> if you were, but some of the girls have seen you. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I just wanted to go practice. Um but I ultimately, I think I shot 70 or 71 that day. Kim told me on the fourth tee box, hey, you're on the team. We have a spot for you. So that yeah. was pretty exciting. That is awesome. That is odd. The visual of you, the couple of times that I've been out to Birdwood, 
have been after I've heard that story. Mm-hmm. And so the visual of you, Lauren Greenleaf, this amazing golfer with golf clubs laid across the handlebars riding up and down Ivy Road is just inspirational. Like It's not a particularly bike friendly. No, it is not. <laughs> it is not. So you go to UVA, talk a little bit about your college playing career. Mm-hmm. And obviously now we're what, eight? eight nine years removed Mm -hmm. from when you graduated during college playing as is professional golf at all coming across your radar just kind of take us through college yes I think college was a pretty transformational part of my golf journey it has it had definitely had its highs and lows Um, so I would say looking back on my college career I'm probably on average three to four shots better now at 31 than Mm -hmm. I was at 18 19 20 years old Um, But it was an opportunity to work really hard. Um, When I joined that team, I wasn't ready to be a starter, but I was around great golfers that could make me better at a great program with Kim Llewellyn and Brian Bailey, who are both wonderful people and great at developing golfers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I worked my butt off in college um, to try and make the starting lineup and get there. Um, I started the majority of the tournaments, my second, third, and fourth year uh, at UVA and continue to get better each and every year. Uh, had some good performances at the ACC championships and had the opportunity to play in a couple NCAA championships as well. It was stroke play in those days, so mm-hmm. less exciting than it is with the new yeah. match play format, which I like a lot. Um, but continue to get better. Um, it was a big learning experience for me from the mental side. The school part of UVA always came quite naturally to me. The having to compete for your spot in the lineup every week was mentally tough mm-hmm. and reflecting back on it. Um, I think I would have just tried to win tournaments instead of trying to make it into the lineup for the next week. Okay. Um, Because I internally struggled a little bit with going to tournaments, knowing that I was playing the three, four, or five spot in the lineup, and I'm basically playing playing to try and earn a spot in the next event Mm -hmm. versus saying, let me play as well as I can to go try and win this event Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I can do it. Um, Which I think when you're trying to balance school and golf and playing well in a tournament, all the factors that we all (laughs) battle on the course every day, that's just too much in your mental space. Um, So that was a big learning for me and something I took away after college golf when I kept playing. And I'm just playing for me. I'm Mm -hmm. playing to win the tournament and do the best that I can do. And I think that's helped me grow as a player a lot. As you came out of college, you, I know you have a very successful professional career right now what were those six months three months leading up to graduation looking like are you thinking I'm going to get a job and that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to play sort of professional amateur golf for my life Mm -hmm. or are you considering playing professionally when I reflected and sat down, I did a three plus one at UVA. So I was a math and economics double major in three years. And then I did a master's of science and commerce in the McIntyre School at UVA. Uh, and they do a tremendous job of helping you think through a career and job placement, prepping you for interviews. Um, so I knew going into my fourth year that my game wasn't where it needed to be to mm-hmm. try and play professionally. Plus, I had a ton of different opportunities. And I had a full-time offer, I think, by September of uh, my master's program with a full year to go to join the Boston Consulting Group okay. in D.C. So I, the last three to six months were pretty stress-free for me because I knew exactly where uh-huh. I was going. Uh, and my rationale at that point was if I continue to improve in golf, it's always going to be there. Yeah. Um, it's 
more challenging to start your career <laughs> or start over mm-hmm. later in life. So I said, hey, I had a great opportunity uh, with the Boston Consulting Group. Let me go jump on that. If golf continues to get better, it's always there. So let me go start something solid. So I at least mm-hmm. have a good foundation. So that was where my kind of thought process was. Talk a little bit about now at 31, you're a mid-am. Um, the arrangement that you have with Boston Consulting or you know how you build your how you build your schedule for for golf for the year yeah I've been really lucky that the Boston Consulting Group has been extremely supportive of my golf the last nine years Um, I've just tried to sit down every year and craft the schedule that I'm able to craft um, based on my work commitments my commitments to my clients but also um, the amount that I'm able to practice Um, but when I started my career the first two years I really focused on getting good at the job, trying to balance golf because I love playing, um, playing at my country club at International, trying to stay sharp, play a couple tournaments here or there. But I think maybe a year and a half into my career, I really got the itch to play again. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I went to BCG and said, hey, I don't want to go get my MBA. I want to stick around. I'm happy here. How can we craft something together that (laughs) is going to work where Uh I can balance these two things? So uh, the first year I did a summer of golf. I actually worked with the company to go to 50% capacity and move from the client side to an internal research project for the firm uh, for three months to allow me to play more. Um, And I'd say BCG as a company has a number of great programs available to staff around taking a break from the job. It's a pretty demanding Mm -hmm. job uh, in client services. And there are a lot of amazingly talented people that do all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. So we actually have a formal program where you can take an unpaid leave of absence for a certain amount of time um, every 12 months. I end up doing it every other year to just step away, take a breather from Mm -hmm. work, um, go play golf and play a full schedule for two or three months. I just did that this summer as well. So let's let's back up because I don't want to um, inadvertently jump over the 2015 U.S. Women's mm-hmm. Mid-Am. That was your first year of eligibility in the event, 25 and up. Um, what, how, where was that circled on your schedule for, like, was that the Super Bowl, that the number one major when you were heading into qualifying and all mm-hmm. things related to that? Talk a little bit about that that championship. Um, I had definitely been looking forward to it. So what a lot of post-collegiate golfers find is the two or three years post-college before you become a mid-am are kind of challenging ones to figure (laughs) out what is your place in the game. Yeah. (laughs) Because I would say people generally fall into a couple archetypes. You have the top players who go try and chase it professionally, uh, which is great. Um, you have folks who go focus heavily on your career. Um, I think now golf is more accessible than it's ever been, but it's still challenging to balance the very beginning of your career, oftentimes mm-hmm. moving to a new city, uh, tackling a new job and balancing other things you just want to do in your life, like mm-hmm. have friends and be a real human being. Yeah. Um, so people tend to stop playing or take a break just because they've been grinding hard on golf since junior golf days, especially now. And then there are some folks who continue to play um, at whatever level they choose to play at. But there's not a ton of events that are specifically tailored for, say, 22, 23-year-olds because mm-hmm. your main options are to go play the U.S. Amateur, or go play 
the regional events, which I continue to play now, but quite frankly, it's a lot of high schoolers and college kids that you don't necessarily relate to as much Mm -hmm. at that point in your career are practicing more than you are. So it's a little bit of a weird loss period in golf before you can join um, kind of the mid-am ranks. So I continued to play to stay sharp and I liked playing events, but I definitely was excited to turn 25. Um, I remember I was at the U.S. women's state team matches. Um, we were in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Uh, it was Abby Porterada and Alex Austin, who are both good friends of mine. We were out there. But I turned 25 the last day of that tournament, and I remember having a birthday party in the Renaissance Hotel at the St. Louis Airport uh-huh. for my mid-am birthday. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun because along the way, I had met a lot of the different women from different states that were all at state teams. We had a little welcome to mid-am celebration okay. in the hotel lobby. That's cool. <laughs> So walk us through that championship. What were your qualifying rounds like? Mm-hmm. What number did you qualify? Do you remember going in? And then a couple of those matches. More course, specifically, the I final remember. matches. Right? <laughs> um, so going into it, I was really confident. So I had taken time off to prep for the event. Um, this was the first year where I had taken time off BCG, and I had gone to 50% capacity and played a ton that summer. And I was really looking forward to the event and wanted to go in and just do the best that I could do, but I had a good feeling that my game was solid and it was going to stack up well. Um, the event was in Shudrant, Louisiana, which okay. for folks who don't know, it is kind of north central Louisiana. Um, it's about an hour and change from Shreveport and it's a little bit west of Monroe. Okay. Um, so quite a small town. Um, awesome golf course, Squire Creek golf club um was started by a local uh, i did host housing for the first time in that event and it worked out wonderfully mm-hmm. i remember looking at hotels the nearest hotel was 30 minutes away and based on the day i qualified it was hard to get a room okay so i applied to host housing and i stayed with a friend of mine um in the same room in host housing connie isler who um, i had met playing golf in maryland she's wonderful um, but we stayed in this awesome house on the right behind the first screen, and it was the daughter of the owner who had owned the house. I think she hosted oh. ten people. Wow! Okay, so it was a fun week, and I could walk to the golf club um, in Squire Creek. Um, I remember playing it in the practice round. I was like, "Wow, this course is really tough. Uh-huh. Uh, the greens are undulating. They are incredibly fast. If you miss the green, good luck getting up and down." So I was like, "This is going to be a tough test." Um, it was also a very interesting week weather-wise. Um, in the two practice rounds and the two stroke play rounds, I think it was in the 50s and the wind was blowing because I remember wearing rain jackets in the finals. It was 90 degrees and humid. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so we got all the different weather. Um, but it was a good week. I just had a very calm feeling. I was relaxed. I never was down in any of my matches, I think. Um in the six match play rounds, I lost the first hole of the quarterfinal match to Mercedes Huarte, who's a friend of mine now. Uh-huh. And that was the only hole that I was down uh, in all of match play. <laughs> I know you asked me what place I qualified. I believe I qualified in the second spot. Um, I shot a couple over in stroke play. And that tells you how hard the golf course was. And uh-huh. then <laughs> got the second seed uh, for match play. But no, it was a great event. Um, the one thing that sticks out is how tired I was at the end. Okay. <laughs> Even being up, it's just an ex- exhausting week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, match play, there's a lot of, I mean, there's, there's a, an added level of decision-making that's going on because you're, you know, you're wondering where they are, what you're trying to play through various scenarios of the shot mm-hmm. that they might hit, how you're going to respond emotionally to that. 
And then is that putt good or is it not? That's not something you have mm-hmm. to think through in stroke play qualifying. It's just a little added, added thing. So after you, after you win that, does that change anything for your outlook for your future golf or anything like that? Um, I think it gave me a lot of confidence. It opened up a ton of opportunities that I don't think I would have had otherwise. Um, it helped me build a stronger relationship with the VSGA for sure, but also the USGA as a champion. Um, they treat you incredibly well. It opens mm-hmm. up forums to share your perspective on the game and course setup and uh, different focus groups. I've had the opportunity to um, sit on along the years. I think it just also inspired me to set some long-term goals uh, for my amateur golf career. I think mm-hmm. at this point I'm going to remain an amateur <laughs> at 31 and continue chasing my career. But knowing that I could have success in the mid-am, I set my goals a little higher. Mm-hmm. You and I had the opportunity to talk at the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of recapped some of your 2019 season, which was very good, um, and had you in Curtis Cup consideration. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about what that journey was like. That was one of the kind of best learning experiences of my golf career, and it was an incredible opportunity. Um, so I had a really strong end of 2018 and 2019 season. Um, I was invited to attend the Curtis Cup practice session um, at Loblolly Country Club uh, down in Hope Sound, Florida, and that was in December of 2019 I believe um and what that practice session is is the USGA invites 12 players uh that are prospective Curtis Cup members to come basically convene for a weekend and Mm -hmm. play all the different Curtis Cup formats so foursomes four ball uh a lot of match play a lot of partner stuff just to see how the team is gelling together and uh just be to be together as people so that was a wonderful opportunity uh Sarah Ingram uh, from Nashville, Tennessee, was the captain, and Sarah is a good friend of mine. They've had the opportunity to get to know um, a lot over the last couple years in the mid-am game. Um, so I went down there in 2019, had a great practice session. It really opened my eyes to, A, just the incredible people mm-hmm. that are in golf. But second, it gave me confidence that in these formats, in match play, in just golf in general, I can compete with the top amateurs in the world, uh, even with having a full-time job. So I think that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, I did a lot of prep work (laughs) ahead of that. I was traveling full-time for work at the time, so I would fly out Monday morning and fly back Thursday. Uh, Had a lot of late-night sessions at 1757 Golf Club with Roger Hatcher, my coach, Uh where I'd come from Dulles at 6.30, and we'd get there at 7, and we worked till 9.30 on Thursday to get an extra day to get ready for Curtis Cup practice session. Um, And then COVID hit, which was a little unfortunate. Um, I had a lot of momentum at that point in my game. And then in the mid-am game, the Curtis Cup obviously got pushed a year, Mm -hmm. um, which added another year to the cycle. And uh, a lot of the tournaments I would have typically played in um, either weren't available in 2020 or shifted in the schedule. So I wasn't able to play as much. So that was a little bit unfortunate, but it's definitely still a goal that I'm chasing. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the women's mid-am game right now Mm -hmm. um obviously we had five women from virginia i shouldn't say obvious not obvious to everyone (laughs) we had five women from virginia who qualified for the u.s women's mid-am this year um and it seems like there's some there's there's some very good players who are Mm -hmm. playing at a very high level here in virginia what do we in the golf industry need to do do you think or what does golf need to do to 
even improve that or to keep mm-hmm. women involved with the game who, like you've said, graduate college and then maybe maybe fade away, whether they start a family or they start a career mm-hmm. or something. It That cycle, that sort of menu of options is, is different for women than it is mm-hmm. for men. How do how do we help women stay with the game? Yeah, so I think there are a couple of questions there. So my perspective on the mid-am women's game in general, um, it is a great community of people. Um, foundational, number one. I've met over the last six years since being a mid-am, some of my best friends, some incredibly inspiring mentors as both people and golfers. I played a practice round at the Mid-Am with Ellen Port and Laura Tennant. Um, Laura's just won her third USGA Women's Senior Amateur in a row and Ellen's won seven USGA Championships Mm -hmm. and most notably this year won the um, St. Louis Metropolitan Men's Senior Amateur, (laughs) Um, which is pretty impressive. That's right, yeah. I've spent a ton of time with Megan Stassi, who's won four mid-amateurs, and Ina Kimshad is a great friend. So I think the network of people I've met are pretty inspiring, both on and off the golf course. I think foundational, number one, the people are excellent. Um, And the mid-am game is in good hands (laughs) from a people perspective. I think it's getting stronger. Um, I think we still have work to do. So I'd say fields are starting to get deeper. Um, I think we're at an interesting point with extra COVID eligibility where you're having folks come out of college in the next two years that are probably older Mm -hmm. (laughs) and closer to mid-am golf than they would be otherwise. Um, Globally, I've met some mid-ams at tournaments. I think there's some grassroots things that we're trying to get in contact with people. I was at the Western Amateur this year and played a practice round with a woman from Pepperdine who was in her mid thirties and she lives in Caracas, Venezuela uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and was taking her child to summer camp in the U S and said, Hey, I'm going to play the Western. And okay. she didn't even know that she could sign up for the mid am and be exempt. <laughs> so oh, wow. She actually signed up and played and made the round of 16 and uh-huh. had a great time. So I think there's just people out there that we can still attract to the game that are still playing that mm-hmm. necessarily don't know about the opportunities. Um, but the, how do we continue to grow the game and, catch more people and get them to play after college is a really tough question and something that I've spent a ton of time thinking about. Um, There are organizations out there that are doing a great job. So the AGA or Amateur Golf Alliance, they run the Concession Cup. They started a uh, women's mid-amateur event, a three-day stroke play. It's been held twice. So Mm -hmm. I won the inaugural event at um, the Dye Preserve in Jupiter in 2020. And then it was at Forest Creek uh, this May. I'm not sure where the site is next year, but Tara Joy Connolly and Midian from Florida really partnered with that organization to get something up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have some exciting stuff coming down the pipe for Midian, some team matches and some other things that'll get going in the next couple of years that are pretty exciting. Uh, but what they did that was unique is they set up a 23 and over event, Okay. Um, which I really like. It still feels like a mid-am field. You have the same top mid-am players, but you also have some new faces that can start to join the network and meet the people and get to play. And there have been a number of 23-year-olds, kind of one year post-college, that have um, taken advantage of those events. So I think that was a really interesting thing and a good decision by that organization to open the field up a little bit. Yeah, it's like you said, there's mm-hmm. there's that gap there that give, allows too many opportunities to find something else mm-hmm. that might t- drift you away from golf. Yeah, and I think for the feedback that I've heard from those folks is it not only gives you an opportunity to go play and Mm -hmm. compete in an environment that you're not playing with the 12-year-old who's 
competing on the AJGA right. or trying to like go really hard and get a college yeah. scholarship. Um, but you are competing against people that you relate to more at that point in your career, but mm -hmm. also give you a playing opportunity. So I think folks really liked that aspect of it. Yeah. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and share a bit about your story and your journey in the game. It's been a real joy to watch you and to have you in Virginia the way that we do representing the VSGA when you go out and abroad uh, as much as you do. So thank you for all that you do for the VSGA, but, but for golf as well. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Happy to be here and share some stories and kick around some ideas. So hopefully we can keep some momentum and keep growing the game. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Golf in the Commonwealth and big thanks to Lauren Greenleaf. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and we'll see you in the fairway soon.